Maryland. Okay. All right. Here we go. Hey, Rent Retires. It's Adam Schrader here with another episode, joined once again by the CEO and founder of Rent Retirement, Zach Lemaster. And we are here, Sam's guest today, to uh, talk about our real estate business. So, uh, Zach, thanks for joining just me. Yeah, Adam, it's been a while. I mean, I think we should do this more often where uh, you and I just get to share our perspectives and our experiences and, and just do a little chat, you know, about uh, different topics in real estate investing. I know you're in the weeds every single day, um, as am I, to, to, to some extent, talking with people about their investing journeys, dealing with our own investing. And while we want to hear from other people, I think it's good for us to just to, you know, share our own experiences as well. Yep. So, you know, like we were talking about before we started recording, huddle up around the the, the radio, get yourself a nice cup of uh, hot chocolate and <clears throat> get ready to go. So what I wanted to touch on today is um, we've discussed it briefly before, but that's how real estate inv investing is like a business. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is, you know, as people are getting more and more concerned about, you know, whether it's the economy or the interest rates or, you know, the price of homes and all of that, you know, we need to remember that this is like a business. And Zach, if I recall correctly, business 101 is only invest in your business during good times, right? Rule number one. Yep. You know, if, uh, if you want to be an optimist and, um, you know, always think that there's, there, we're always going to have good economic times, then, then sure. But the reality is we all know that you need to invest in yourself and your business consistently. And that's how you become successful long-term. Yeah. So people are coming to me and saying, oh, is, is now a good time to buy? Is now a bad time to buy? Maybe I'll wait three months, six months, nine months. And I just say to all of them, you know, who's to say what's going to happen in three, six, nine months? I mean, in a lot of the markets that we're in, like we've discussed before on the show, you know, values are just holding. You know, they're not bumping up. They're not going haywire on the upside, but they're also not dropping. So they're just kind of staying flat. So in three, six, nine months, Let's pretend that the values have gone down, you know, even five or ten thousand dollars. Okay. Well, first off, number one, you're betting that that's going to happen. It's not guaranteed. It's not being shown to be doing it now. Second off, you're now getting less cash flow. You're now getting, you know, less of a time that you own the house for the year, so less of a write-off. And so, you know, when you're looking at it that way. My other question to people is then, are you still investing in your 401k right now? Did you, you know, this last year or, you know, the last four years as the sky, as it was booming, did you call up your, your, your broker and say, Hey, cut off all investing in the stock market. It's too high. I never want to, I don't want to invest in any of my retirement accounts right now. Yeah. You have some good points. And, and actually, I mean, I don't, Adam, I don't want this to be about, you know, the timing of the market. I think we actually separate that out and, and just talk about, you know, building a building a successful business. Um, you know, regardless of, of market cycle, there's um, we we of course have the argument of, of how to be successful in times like this, and we you know we hear from all all the time about now is not the time right time to buy. Well, these are also people who are saying like you know you haven't invested over the past ten years in real estate, so so when is the right time? Like you had the perfect time in terms of well, there is no perfect time. I'll say that you had the time where prices were skyrocketing and you had a lot of competition. Um, and you know, you didn't in low interest rates and yep, you didn't take action. Low. Yeah. And so you didn't take action then, but, but I mean, the reality is, I mean, I mean, let me share a little bit of my perspective and in, in my background, I built a very successful investment portfolio, um, over about the past 15 years now. 
we, we have very high passive income through this. There's been a lot of bumps in the road throughout that, and we've <laughs> lost money on a lot of deals, right? But we've always been consistent to buy um, because the reality is, and we understand that real estate is, is a long game. If you're looking at it from the narrow mindset of just, you know, where we're at today, that's completely the, the wrong way to look at investing. Really, what you should be looking at is how do I invest and take action now and educate myself to be able to apply that and become a successful investor long term. You know, people are crunching the numbers and doing, I mean, it's like, you know, and the big, they're just missing the big picture. And I understand as a first time investor or newer investor, like you want to look at that, but it's really like besides the point, it, it just, it simply is over time, your, your property portfolio will have an exponential graph, but you guys, you get, you got to get started. You got to start owning property. Even if it's one this year, two next year, four the year after, it doesn't matter where we're at in the economic cycle. Don't go out and do spec speculation, you know, and invest in an area that you're dumping your entire savings into, but re invest responsibly and consistency. People talk about dollar cost averaging in the stock market. Well, I mean, why couldn't you apply that to real estate? I think you, you should. You should always be investing your money to save up that next down payment, find a way to earn that quicker and do it again. But anyways, off, off of the market cycle um, and, and off of my soapbox a little bit, let's talk about what it takes to build a successful investment business. We touched a little bit on, uh, you know, just the education and the action part of it. Um, but, you know, really to build a successful long-term portfolio, it requires a team, right? And this, yep. this team is what's going to determine how successful you are long-term and how quickly you get to your, your success points and goals that, that you want to. And I know that we have a, a list prepared, Adam, of all the key people that you need on your list. And I'd like to take a little bit of time to walk through each one of those and talk about why they're important. At what time do you bring them in? A, a big question we get all the time is like, well, you know, people want to put the cart before the horse. And it's like, do I need an LLC set up first? At what point do I do that? Guys, just buy the property first and, <laughs> and figure it out as you go. We'll let us help you. One part, one nice thing about working with us is you get to tap into our immediate network. These are people that I've spent the past 15 years trying to find the best people and that I use on my team to allow us to be successful. And you get immediate access through them. You don't have to go through 10 years of trial and error. Let us help you expedite your success. Um, but let's talk about, Adam, if you if you had to list off, let's go through a list of all the key essential personnel to build a real estate team. Who, who would you say that they are? Um, I'm going to say you need your lender, 100%. Key. And that you probably is someone that it does come before the property, just naturally. <laughs> so it's good to source lenders yeah. and know what your financing yeah. options are. Um, we'll you need to... Mm -hmm. You need to have somebody sourcing your properties, whether that's yourself, uh, a bird dog, you know, someone like us. You need someone sourcing your properties, sourcing and evaluating. Um, and I, I would extend that to say, if someone in sourcing, if if you're investing in an area, uh, and this could be your local area, if you're a newer investor, if you're investing in an area that is not that you're not familiar with, or you're kind of newer real estate, this is an essential piece and also probably someone that you need to add to your team sooner. This could be a broker, an agent, make sure they're real estate specific. It could be rent to retirement. It could be, you know, many other sources, but have some assistance on finding and evaluating properties. You're going to need an insurance company because everybody needs insurance unless you're buying cash. And even then you should still have home insurance. Um, you're going to need a property manager because even if it's you know, two streets down, in my opinion, um, you're better served spending your time elsewhere. Um, and those are the big ones that I can think of off the top of my head here. 
I would say as you grow, well, I would say even with, within first year, if you're going to approach this like a business, which you should, because it's not like a business, it is a business in the eyes of the IRS. In, <laughs> in a lot of cases, you are, if you have rental income, this is a business, right? Um, and so you should be treating it that way, even from your first property. So attorney and CPA that are real estate specific. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely a CPA. Forgot to write them down. Yeah. Um, you should, first off, I don't think many people should be doing their own taxes to begin with because good grief they try to make it complicated but yes once you get a real a real estate property you you don't want to be doing your own taxes um you if you do you're going to miss out on a lot of deductions or something or you're going to screw something up whenever it comes to you know filling out the form the right way or something like that i mean it's i'm i'm so happy to pay people to do my taxes at this point in time Absolutely. And we'll get into that. Let's, let's go through this and um, break down each one of those like specific questions you and I would ask what we've used in, in our history to find the, the right individuals and what we think are kind of the important things to, to ask these individuals um, and look for in them to ensure that they're the right person to work with. So let's, let's talk about the lender first. And so that probably is between, I actually, I would say that you're, whether you're it's agent broker or someone to source, find and evaluate properties um, you know, that that's probably number one. So let, let's actually start there. So whether this is rent retirement, a broker, an agent, anyone that's assisting you in finding properties, what would you say is important, um, in working with the right people and finding them, Adam? Um, well, I mean, it's really just, how are you going to help me? And wh what do you know that I can tap into? But when it comes to, you know, specifically with the lender, my first question is, where are you licensed? You know, are, are you even eligible to help me? You know, like if I'm looking for a property, you know, if I'm looking for a whole someone to find me a wholesale deal in, you know, a state that requires a license, are you licensed to wholesale in this state? You know, if you're a property manager, are you a licensed property manager? Are you just someone who claims you can do property management and you're just flying under the radar? You know, insurance, are you actually licensed? So let's to do let's be specific though on the on the sourcing. Give me, and this would be applicable to rent retirement, assisting you in in building your goals. Like in my mind, someone, this is what I would look for in someone to looking that's going to assist you in building your portfolio. And again, this could be an agent. This could be a mentor. This could be someone uh, like rent or retirement, a broker, whatever the case is. I would say that first and foremost, they need to be an investor themselves, yeah, right? They 100%. need to understand investing and likely an experienced and successful investor. If the answer is, Oh, I bought a couple of properties and I, I don't really invest currently. Maybe not someone that you want to you know, work with. When I look for mentors and, and things for people to assist me, I look for people that are in a place that I want to be um, because they, they're, they've been successful. They've been down that path. Um, and I found that surrounding myself with those type of people help to expedite my goals. So if I'm going to work with a broker or an agent, they better be an active investor and have been an investor for many years and be able to speak to that. And then the second most important thing I would say is someone that is actually just not there to sell me on something um, because that's how they get paid. And rightfully so, you guys, they should get paid for that, right? There's a lot of work and time and energy goes into that. However, make sure that they under fully take the time to understand your goals, right? Not only in the immediate time frame, but long-term. These are relationships that you want to build with people long-term. They want them. I mean, I have on the commercial properties that we buy, I have the best broker out there because he knows exactly what I want to the T. We've bought multiple properties over many years. And he's out there sourcing constantly inventory for me. And he's already done all this due diligence on it. And then he circles it back to me. And I know he's very meticulous. So um, what else would you think is important on the, on the sourcing? Like 
resource side, time availability. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to skip over the part where you're talking about where they're not an active investor, you need to budget in a lot of time for yourself to train them to get what you want. Because I mean, if you're dealing with someone who, you know, just started doing this, you're going to have to be like, look, this is my buy box. Let's look at these properties that you've already pulled and see exactly, you know, what the numbers could be and run it through it. I mean, that's a lot of time that goes into that. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, when it comes to sourcing the property, yeah, I would say, have you done it before? You know, what are you doing now? Um, where are you finding these properties? And are you, you know, are you consistently doing this? And will you be doing this in, you know, one, two, three, four, five years? Because the last thing you want to do is, you know, you find a broker who works with you for a year and then they're like, ah, you know, I'm going to go do this other thing now. And then you have to train another broker to do what you want to do. And you want to make sure that they've been around and they're going to be around. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that, uh, you know, to find good people out there. And I think this is a very important point to take home from everyone, because sometimes people come into this with the mindset that this person is working for me and it's a one-way relationship. It is not, it is. A, and this is, goes with every single person, key essential personnel that we're going to outline in this list that, that are important to build a business. It is a reciprocal relationship where you got to take action. You got to follow through the, if, if you have a solid broker or team, like they're not going to, if you're a newer investor and you're a little hesitant, that's okay, but you got to go in serious, right. To be able to do something because the, the top tier brokers and people that are out there, they are not going to work with you if, if you're going to waste their time. It's just, they don't need to, right. They're working with people that are consistently buying. Um, you know, my, my broker pretty much exclusively works for me, but he knows once we find X, Y, Z, we're buying it. There's no questions yep. asked, you know? Okay. And so if you're and look, guys, we, we operate in this capacity at rent to retirement. We want to help you. We'll spend more time with you and go through your goals and help you outline this. But at the end of the day, to really get our attention and to work with like me personally and do some of this, like you got to come in, you got to do act, you got to take action, right? That shows us that you're an active investor. We'll spend extra time with you and provide value, but it's a two-way relationship with all of these. Just remember that. The last thing I'll mention on this is that with someone that is helping you source inventory, um, put them on the spot. I think it's important that it, you know if they're a, more, a truly more experienced investor, they should be providing resources for you and, and advice, um, understanding your goals, but then also giving you some direction. If they're just saying, taking down you know, your shopping list, your buy box, and then not giving you any feedback on it, probably not a good sign that they're really a, a very savvy person. They should be giving you some direction, maybe even challenging some things that you have on your buy box. But let's let's move to a lender. Um, Adam, what do you think? You, you talked about being licensed in the state that you're looking to invest in. What else is important to ask a lender? Because that's probably the first step is finding someone to help you source inventory and then figure out the financing. Yeah. So the next, the biggest question to ask at that point is, do you do investment loans? And everybody, everybody's going to say, yeah, I do investment loans. You know, of course we do investment loans. The question is, when was the last time you did an investment loan? You know, how many have you done? Because there's so many, you know, mortgage people out there who will say they do investment loans. But investment loans do have different aspects to them than regular conventional owner occupied. Is, is it that much different? No, not really. Like whenever I've closed on my investment loans versus my primary where I live, not that different but it's still different. And if something gets messed up along the way, everybody gets mad. <laughs> like your lender's mad, the seller's mad, you're mad. You know, every single person involved gets annoyed 
and then the deal is much more likely to fall apart. So the question is just, do you do investment loans? Okay, how many did you do last year? You know, when did you, you know, when did you last close one? And then like you were asking just a minute ago is, you know, do you invest? Because if your person's yeah. giving you an investment loan and doesn't believe in it enough to actually do them, I mean, granted, they can't give themselves a loan, but if they haven't gone out and gotten investment loans, then are they really the person you want to be trusting to help build your portfolio? Everyone in my network on the financing side, insurance side, they are professional investors. They are out there investing every single year. And those are the people that are going to share the best type of advice and products with you um, because they're in, in the trenches, right? They're not everyone here. Everyone is to earn money, right? Everyone on this list <laughs> earns money from you. Yes, they are part of your team. It's a reciprocal relationship. You know, but but everyone to some degree also has a, has a sales pitch. Lenders have a sales pitch, right? And I think it's a lot of times people fall into this category. I see this every single day, Adam, where someone is like, oh, yeah, well, I use this bank to finance my primary. I like, you know, good old Johnny because he's my next door neighbor and, you know, and, you know, whatever the case is with, with a lender. But the reality is, is, again, this is business. This should be a financial decision. It goes comes down to the numbers. Yeah, vet, vet the lender. Look at, say, are you investing yourself? Let's talk about the areas that you are investing, um, you know, how and, and ask him like, well, you know, why beyond just the numbers? Because I, all, I also see this and this is important to loan shop and get quotes, but it um, it really pisses lenders off. Let me tell you, when you just send them an email and say, uh, you know, what's your rates on this? Give me a quote on this. And it's just like, you know, the, the, the better way to approach that is why would you be the best lender and the best team member to add to my business uh, moving forward based on my goals ask them that question yeah. uh, and then hit them up with rates right because it's it, it's not always rates guys it's not always rates and points and fees um and but it, it can be you also need to be conscious of that and you also need to loan shop get a few different quotes and you know compare and contrast and no loan product is going to be the exact same at, at different you know with lenders we we have to deal with this with you know commercial lot and residential but um, yeah, those are super valid points. Yeah. You have to ask your lender cause you have to assume that not everything's going to go smooth. So you need to know that the lender you're working with, whenever it hits the fan, are they going to be there trying to help you close the deal? You know, like if you're in a situation where you qualify for a conventional loan and you're going forward with this person and suddenly something happens, you know, your income or something it's snagged or your debt to income suddenly changes because of some reason, can they close you a different way? You know, can they That's pivot huge. you being, into something else? And not everybody can. Yeah. Being agile um, yeah. to, and we've, we've seen that day in and day out, right. Where there's something circumstances change or, you know, we need a, a, a loan extension or something like this. And it's like the agile lenders. That's huge. Especially when you're getting into to deals that you need to be a little bit more creative with. Um, I guess the last point I would say on, on lenders um, communication is huge. I want to, I want answers quickly. That doesn't mean it has to be within an hour, but within 24 or 48 hours would be completely realistic. Um, and I need to know who I'm speaking with. Is this going to be you? Is it going to be a group of people? Do I need have five different people sending me emails or do I have one point of contact? Um, it's, it's interesting on the different, uh, you know, the different, <laughs> ways people approach financing. We obviously have preferred lenders that, that we know are professional investors that offer exceptional rates. There's no financial incentive to us for you to use them. It's just, hey, we know that these guys are, uh, and, and likely we personally use them as well. Um, and so these are lenders that, that we would recommend, use them or not, but you know, pr there's a reason they're on our list. Not many do uh, make it on that list. Oh, okay, so found someone to source a property. 
you found a lender to offer the type of financing that you uh, would get approved for and is uh, feasible for the investment. And then we put a property under a contract. You know, what's what's next? We, we probably should source. I mean, OK, so inspectors, the appraisal is going to come from the lender. So you have no choice in who that is. Um, but inspectors, let's talk about property inspectors. What's important, Adam, when, you know, trying to determine if you're working with a, a good property inspector? Yeah, well, first off, and there are some states where people actually have to be licensed to be an inspector. So first off, start there. I mean, there's, you know, databases. Every state has a database of who is actually licensed. And so if you're, you know, looking for example, I know in Tennessee, they have their inspector license. So if you Google and look for some inspector and they're not on the list of inspectors, well, guess what? They're just somebody trying to make a buck. Um, they're not going to be doing that. The other thing you want to know is, you know, to me, it's important to talk to them, make sure they understand technology um, to, be, to be straightforward. Like, are they going to be sending you, I've seen an inspection report. I kid you not. That was just a bullet point list with checks next to it. It was like, and it was only like 10 things. And it was just this check mark, check mark, check mark. That's not an inspection report. You know, you want somebody who's going to have software. It's going to have pictures. You know, I always ask if they'll do walkthrough videos because if they can't do that and they can't upload it to me, they probably aren't most, you know, up to date with what's going on in the times. And then, you know, obviously you want to price them, make sure they're competitive in the market. Yeah, I think and the thing with property inspectors is, they're going to be your eyes and your ears on the property. Um, they are, especially if you're buying sight unseen, um, you know, there's someone that I think for me, I would want also want to know that they're familiar with the purpose of the property, right? If this is a rental property, they need to know that they need to be familiar with rentals. Um, you, you want them to be meticulous on the property, but I also want them to give me candid feedback of, is this actually a big issue or is this something that like, you know, I should not actually worry about. Because yeah. when I go and I look at things um, from a, an, an inspection point of view, oh. I am not going to ask for every single thing to be done on the, because the seller is going to tell me to get lost um, and I'm going to ruin that relationship with the seller, which even if you don't talk to them, there is that you know, unspoken relationship you, you need to be aware of. And that's part of negotiation. Um, but the, the inspector, I want them to look at the big picture stuff, right? Like I'm buying this as a rental. This is an evaluation. Is this going to be uh, you know, a big ticket item or cause future yep. issues, or is this, is this understandable for, for rental property and how I respond to the seller is, you know, is different, but at least having an open dialogue. So I want to get on, yep. I get on the phone with the inspector uh, because here's the thing, when the inspector puts everything on the list, it's going to look terrible, right? It's going to look <laughs> like the house is Always. falling down. I've gotten to the point where I don't even get property inspections to be quite honest. I'm not <laughs> saying that you shouldn't, this is just me. Um, if you're buying residential out of state, get a property inspection. Um, but, but I've come to realize like, you know, I, I almost build out my model with regardless of what the inspection comes back with. Um, and, and I just move, move forward appropriately. Um, but yeah, an inspector, I want to be able to get on the phone with them and actually talk through stuff and say, you know, what's, the, what's the reality of this, right? Don't yeah. just give me this huge, cause everything they put in their inspection report is CYA. It's basically oh, yeah. going to say, recommend foundation specialists recommend roofer uh, to go out and look at this um, because they don't want to be held liable. Right. Yes, but it's also important a quarter inch out lean right. licensed contractor to come look at it. But it is also important to note they are uh, licensed and insured. So if there is a legitimate thing that happens, 
that is a safe car. That's a benefit to having an inspection is you could go back, yeah. I guess, and potentially try to hold them liable. Although I think that's a, you know, I don't, that'd be a tough, tough battle, but anything <laughs> yeah, but else? I, on... I agree with you wholeheartedly about that conversation because there have been numerous properties of mine where I get that inspection back and I just look at it and I'm like, holy crap. And then I call them up and talk to them and I say, Hey, what about what's going on with this, 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 and this, it sounds horrible. And they're just like, look, it's not a, it's not a big deal. It's something I have to note, you know, but it's not going to impact the house in any way, shape or form. You know, it's, it's like that. I see that like there was one, it said, you know, windows are painted shut on one of them. And I called the guy and I was like, wow, they're painted shut. And he told me, and I kid you not, he said, every single home in this area has the windows, windows painted shut over time. See, that's a context you don't get if you yeah. don't make that phone call. He said, they're all painted shut. People find it weird when they can open the windows because they look at it as like a home security system. And it's kind of like just the area itself. It's become common for all the windows to be painted shut. And yeah, I never would have imagined that. My first thought was, how are they so, you know, you know, so bad at their job that they don't know that they're painting the windows shut? Well, it turns out that that was that's the thing in the neighborhood. Believe it or not, and again, usually in you know your your middle B class investment properties, it's it's kind of a hard mindset because these are not properties that we would that we would probably personally live in, right? But they are great housing options for people that would live in them and solid investments. But it's important to understand the standard for the area. So that is a huge point, Adam. I appreciate you bringing that up because I think that should be a practice for everyone. Once you get an inspection report you should go back and, and have a call and, and review that with the inspector. And really the key of any inspection is just to see what are the big red flags. You should expect that there's going to be issues even on brand new construction. If you hire an inspector and he comes back with nothing, well, that's a, that's a concern that you hire, hire another the wrong one. inspector. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you want them to find stuff, you know, but also go into it with a reasonable mindset. Now, as far as finding inspectors, you can Google, you can look at Yelp reviews. Um, I've had, you know, mixed, mixed luck with that. Um, my probably just asking for recommendations from people in the area uh, and then obviously asking the inspector, you know, about their experience specifically inspecting properties in this location, in this neighborhood and in this, uh, you know, as a rental, that's, that's what I want to see from, from an inspector and, and then be able to call them and, and review it. But yeah, I think a lot of them, a lot of them will also send you a sample inspection report of it. So you can see like what it'll look like whenever it comes back. So you can look at it and say, yeah, this, I don't, I don't like this or, you know, this doesn't cover what I want to cover. So you can get yeah. a lot of sample inspections from them too. Tip, typical inspections, Midwest, three to 500 bucks. You shouldn't be paying more than 500 bucks for a reasonable inspection. Um, and also know that you can't send an inspector back out to, if you have uh, negotiated work that can be, can, that the seller says they're going to agree on a uh, good idea is to send them back out. It, you know, maybe is a hundred bucks, 150 bucks, send them back out uh, see, just to verify that the work is completed. And, um, you know, go from there. So moving on. So you have an inspection report. We got that figured out and we're getting closer to closing. We've had the appraisal done. Um, insurance is something you need to have in place and should prior to closing, the lender is going to require you to have um, your uh, certificate showing that you have insurance in place by the closing date. So this is something you should set up before closing because it's mm -hmm. necessary for closing. Um, what do you look for in insurance? Because this is one of those things that's like, it blows my mind sometimes when people get insurance quotes and it can vary dramatically in oh, terms yeah. of coverage and costs. So how do you find the best insurance providers? Step one, you don't call any of your major insurance companies because they will 
give you awful, awful rates for investment properties. That is true. I mean, that's just, I couldn't believe it. My, when I got my first property, I kind of, you know, I got one or two quotes from like real legitimate investment property companies. And then I just called, I think I was at like Allstate at the time and I called them and got a quote from them. And it was like two and a half times what the investment, you know, investment company was. So, you know, I would just check with them and see how much coverage you actually have to have on the property. Because let's be honest, most of the insurance companies, they're selling you insurance, assuming if the house burns down, they're going to have to rebuild it. Replacement cost. Let's be honest. If you have a property and it burns down, you are not going to rebuild that home. You are going to take the insurance settlement. You're going to sell the lot to somebody else and you're moving on. So you don't need the replacement cost value. You just need your actual cost value. Some insurance companies won't do that. They won't do actual cost value. They will only do replacement costs, and that's a lot more expensive. Oh, man, we could get so technical and granular on this. Um, we'll try not to make this all about insurance, but I think there's a few key points to note. Um, actual cash value is, is what Adam's talking about, not replacement costs. That's huge. Um, insurance is also someone selling you a product, right? It's a necessary product. And so you need to know what, what is realistic, what's needed. Every single quote you get from every insurance company, there are things that are unnecessary likely and things that you can remove and reduce your, uh, reduce your quote by. And you're absolutely correct, Adam. The, the large insurance companies, I've never to date had a, a large insurance company that I use for other insurance products. That is, that is real good. I, I always use an a insurance company. And once you find a good one, typically you, you do stick with them. And there's maybe a, a, a benefit to having multiple properties with them. Maybe you can do a portfolio type of product at one point in time to you know, reduce your, your overall premium dramatically um, and maybe have an umbrella coverage. I mean, we won't go into that. That's as you build out your portfolio. And maybe we'll do a, a different topic on that. But I would say, yeah, like some actual cash value, that's huge. So if your house is $100,000, you do not need to be insuring it for a $200,000 rebuild cost. That's ridiculous. Um, and actually, you have the option to, in some cases, the lenders will even allow you to just do insure for what the loan amount is. That's the requirement is just the loan amount. Now, you know, that could be an argument. If you if you have 20K into it, you maybe want to insure that. The reality is- dollars a, a year to get that 20 grand covered. Yeah. And so it's a cost benefit ratio, right? Of what the premium difference is. But, you know, if you look at people that have insurance, like full loss claims, oh, it's, it's so, it's so small, um, you know, but then you got to look at the, I think it's more applicable when you have a larger portfolio to really carve out those areas. Um, loss of rents is one thing we always talk about that is like, okay, if your property is vacant, um, you know, are you, you can, you can actually receive it during a claim, not during normal vacancy, but during a claim, during loss of rents, you can, um, you know, have rents be compensated for you. That's something I personally don't do, but you know, some some people have had. Um, but it is an expensive coverage, so I usually remove that. Uh, actual cash value. Um, the other thing is is theft and vandalism. I actually do like having that in in place if the insurance company provides it. Uh, we we have three main recommendations for for insurance companies. You guys, you can use whoever you want. This is up to you. Again, no financial incentive to us, but whoever you want to use is completely up to you. Shelter insurance, uh, NREIG and Ross diversified are the, you know, I think, I think the three most common and they significantly less, we, we use them our ourselves. So <laughs> anything else, I mean, as far as finding good insurance, you just got to call around and get quotes, ask for recommendations, right? And same thing with loan shopping, get a few different quotes, compare and contrast. And then when you do get the quote, look, don't just take that as, 
absolute, you know, take carve out and actually understand the, the writers and the policies within that quote. And that's what we're here for is to assist you on, you know, looking through that and seeing what's kind of necessary and common. Anything else on insurance, Adam? Nope. All right, here we go. We're ready to close the property in our property journey. Um, and we have closed and we're ready to uh, pick up management. So this one is big, right? So management is a lifeblood long term. First off, you shouldn't be signing your management contract after you own the home. <laughs> Good point. You should be contacting them and getting set up before. Now, is it okay? Is it common? Yes, it happens, but it is good to be proactive and reach out to management yep. and start those conversations now. Potentially, they could even, you know, start some, get the marketing photos and things organized to reduce your vacancy. So, yeah. Yeah. You want to make sure that you've told the seller where to send the keys or else the keys are going to be in the mail to you. And the last place you want those keys to be is with you because if the keys are with you, your property manager can't do anything in your property because they can't get in because as soon as that property closes, they're going to go and they're going to take that lockbox off. And then you are stuck sitting there waiting for your keys to arrive. So you can just put a new stamp on the envelope and send it straight back where it needs to go. So you need to get your management set up. We'll talk about finding the manager in a second, but get the management set up and tell the seller, connect them with the property manager and say, Hey, when we close, this is who gets the keys. Also get them access to the home you know, it doesn't even have to be fully, you know, if the inspection has come back and there's some things that need to be fixed, those don't all have to be done before they can get in there because the big cosmetic thing is what you're going to see on the, you know, listing. And so they're not going to be, you know, up in the attic taking pictures of things if that's where work needs to be done. They're going to be saying, this is the living room, this is the bedroom, and those things are going to be finished, you know, before you're even close to closing. I love that. Yeah, and I, I think the big thing on management, um, uh, of course, if you're buying through our network, we we have recommendations for management teams that we we vetted, and so you're not required to use them. It is, um, I, I think, it is recommended because we also have some influence over them. If things don't go according to plan, we can actually step in to, you know, hold them accountable. Um, but in general, when you're sourcing property management, ask for recommendations. Obviously, look at reviews. You know, all the same sort of things, but have conversations with them. And here's some specific things to ask a property management company. How long have you been in business? Are you licensed? How many properties do you currently manage? What is your fee structure? Understand that. What is your tenant vetting process? You want to know they have a minimum credit score. Do you, ex do you accept pets? That's really should be up to you. My, you, know, you should ex ex accept pets, but have a pet deposit with it. How do you handle that? That's a huge moneymaker to accept pets. And you, as long as you're covering yourself with your deposit, you know, what type of pets do you accept? How do you handle evictions? You know, what is your uh, average leasing time? What is your average occupancy time, you know, and time between leasing your vacancy? So have a list prepared that you go in and ask them and really put them on the spot um, and understand too, though. Oh, well, let me let me say this before I move on. Accounting, the two biggest issues we see with property managers across the board, and please understand that no property manager is perfect. They just aren't. <laughs> and this is, we talked about a two-way relationship. Um, so many people come in the door and like, just ready to, you know, the first problem that comes up, they're ready to just fight the property manager and fire him and give it like, it is a relationship. It is a partnership. No proper, I've yet to meet a perfect property manager out there. So just understand they sometimes need a little bit of guidance. They go through staffing issues. It's a tough business to be in because you have owners and tenants and sometimes they're both angry and you're just trying to do your job. You know, I've, I've owned property management before and I've also done my own property management. It is a tough thing to do. Um, but this is what I would say the two biggest issues 
excuse me, that we see with property management is on accounting and it's on communication. Um, and this is especially important for an out-of-state owner. So know what system they're using, what accounting system, how am I receiving reports? Do I have a main point of contact that I'm speaking with? And is that going to be, you know, the person that's going to be providing me my monthly statements? So communication is important. What's the timeline to response if I email and call in? Uh, and what if that doesn't happen, right? You said it's 48 hours. What if I, what happens if I don't hear back in 48 hours, give them some leniency, but just understand what the expectations are and understand how they do their accounting and, and paying their books. So I just, you know, spewed a lot of uh, stuff about management. What, what do you think, Adam? Yeah. I mean, I think those are all important. I mean, I, I have gone whenever I was vetting a new property manager, you know, I was calling around in the market to see, and there was a woman that I was talking with um, who seemed really nice. She sounded like she knew she was talking about. And then I asked how many doors she managed and she came back at me with uh, 35. And my immediate thought was, I like you, but you're too small. And there's nothing wrong with, with having that thought. I mean, they know their business, they're trying to build it up. Um, but I think another really important thing to check with the management company, even after you have them, is when you do see an issue arise, you know, you don't come at them. My first question every single time I see a maintenance request and something that I paid for was I immediately email them and say, was this a tenant responsibility that I'm getting paid back for? Or was this my responsibility? Because there's, you know, it's really, and this is going to sound like I'm ragging on them, but I'm not, it's really easy for them to spend your money and not push back on the tenant. But like, for example, if you're paying for a plumber to go out there because a drain was clogged with hair, that's not on you. You know, that's on the tenant. They need to be coming up with a payment plan to get it back. But, you know, I always just respond with, you know, making sure that they are following the any issues that are coming up and making sure that they're diversifying between tenant repairs and owner repairs. So, yeah, that that is so huge because that is probably one of the biggest issues we've seen on on maintenance. It's good to it's good to ask them if they have their in-house maintenance or if they sub everything out and if they do sub it out what subs do they use if it's over a certain, they have. yeah you know if over if it's over a certain expense like what's your approval usually there's like you know and it could vary but it, it, three hundred dollars they just do it emergency they just do it if it's over three hundred dollars you know what's the approval process and it could the amount could vary but um if it's over this certain threshold do you get multiple bids or do you just give me one bid it's like okay if it's a certain expense level i need multiple bids sometimes you have to remind them of that but the biggest issues we've seen with managerial teams that don't do in-house maintenance and some even that do in-house maintenance is that, you know, they'll, they'll overbid jobs. And some of these vendors, they know if it's a company that's an out-of-state owner, like, you know, they'll just bid the job high um, because they know that they'll just accept it. So do not accept just the first bid. Require them to go get multiple bids, you know, and then look at what the, the most feasible is. Um, and you know, if, a, if you work with the property management, I mean, this is business and businesses change over time. We've seen plenty of times where there's an excellent property manager and then they change, they lose some good people. They take on too much, whatever the case is, um, and be ready to pivot. Right. I mean, give people the benefit of the doubt and work with them to improve it. Don't just cut bait, but at some level, if there's, if it's just not a fit consistently, and this could be a personality thing or whatever, then be prepared to change. And, you know, we, I've had to go through a lot of different property managers personally and, in my time. And, and that's okay. Eventually you find the real good ones. We, we like to think that we set you up with a good one immediately, but we're not in control of their business. So 
you know, sometimes that you just need to make that pivot. And you brought up a good point about the size of management because I've done, I've, this could go either way or like too big where I'm just, you know, I don't have enough to get their attention too small. So they don't have operations. Sometimes somewhere in the middle is a sweet spot. I will say historically though, the bigger operations usually have the staff and systems in place. Um, they tend to lack a little bit on the personable experience, um, <laughs> you know, but yeah. you know, you just gotta, you just gotta try it out at the end of the day and, and, you know, refine your, your criteria. And that's the thing when people ask me about, like, for example, our property managers, look, are you going to love our property managers? I don't know, maybe, but here's the deal. You sign for that first year. You're not going to know if you like them or don't like them for at least six months. Minimum is what it's going to take before you get a feel for if you like them or if you don't like them. At that point in time, if you don't like them, you've only got six months left. It's going to take you probably at least a month to find a property manager that you want to go to. And at that yeah. point in time, there's only you know, four or five months left in the deal before you're out of it anyway. So, you know, it's kind of, they're only one year agreements. So it's not the end of the world if you do decide that you need to pivot at some point in the future. Yeah. And I don't want to open up a can of worms here, but there are plenty of situations where you got to break your managerial contract. Like you <laughs> I can wasn't going to go that. down that route, but yeah. Yeah. So some of our, if any of our property managers are listening, they're going to, you know, just ream me, but um, I mean, you can do that and there could be a fee associated with that, but if it's really dire, then, you know, that is an option. Don't feel like you're stuck in that contract forever. And, you know, there could be some financial repercussions minimal. Uh, but if you got to get out, get out and just switch. And I will say this, if you do switch property management teams, almost always same sort of thing. You cannot just call some up and have a good conversation and go with them. You need to vet multiple teams on property management. If you're switching, um, they're going to walk your house. The first thing they're going to do is walk your house and give you an evaluation on how the house is. And they're, they also could t be taking advantage of you. There's, it's been many times where I've, I've gotten bids back from a property management team and they're like, and I've expressed, I put myself in a bad position because I told them that, you know, I was complaining about the previous property manager and that almost opened the door for them to, you know, give me this huge bid and then blame it on the previous property manager. And all of a sudden I get a 10 or $15,000 turn bid and I'm going, what? This house was rehabbed, you know, eight months ago. And then I go out and I, I walk the property and waste all this time doing it and find a contractor that can do it for like 1200 bucks, you know, or sometimes less. It's like, really? So just be conscious of that. You need to, you know, you can't just complain about your management team and then go with the first guy that gives you a bid um, because that is, you know, there's, there's some dramatic differences there, at least with the teams that we recommend at the very least we know that there's an established track record. We have a you know, large number of people that are, that are successful with them. Is it a hundred percent that everyone's doing great? No, but do we have a large number of people that are successful with them and happy? Yes, we do. And that's why we recommend them. So moving on, um, found good property management and we're, we're locked in, uh, ready to continue to scale our portfolio. But since this is a business and we're focusing on business, let's talk about the last two points involving a CPA and attorney. Adam, what is the right point in time to involve an attorney and, and CPA and why do you need one? Um, so a CPA, you need to have, I mean, I think, I don't think anybody should be doing their own taxes unless you have the, unless you're like an 18 year old who, you know, only makes, you know, an hourly wage and gets a one 1099 or W2 or something with no dependents, maybe then do something like TurboTax, but I don't think anybody should be in their own, doing their own taxes personally because there's just too much at risk if you uh, get it wrong. Um, so, and it doesn't cost much if you just have really simple taxes. But you know, as it grows, I mean, I think you need to have a CPA from 
you know, the first time you have a property. Um, I mean, when it comes to an attorney and getting the asset protection, like you said, first, you have to have the asset to protect, in my opinion. Um, you're pretty much always going to be getting these loans in your own name and then transferring them over into your um, LLC, if that's how you choose to go. Um, to me, a lot of that depends on what kind of job you have. If you're in a job where you're more likely to get sued, aka medical professionals, something like that, maybe you want to hop on it quicker than somebody who's web designer or something like that. You know, if you're a truck driver, yeah, absolutely, you know, get it in there. Um, but you know, I think that one comes fairly quickly, but doesn't have to be right ahead, like immediate. I think CPA, you're going to need day one. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've actually changed my opinion and perspective on this over time where I used to tell people, um, and I probably could get myself in trouble for giving legal advice and I'm, you know, neither Adam and I are attorneys or CPAs disclaimer. So, uh, <laughs> but we are seasoned investors and work with many investors. So uh, I used to tell people, oh, you may not need an LLC for the first property. And, you know, you know, this, it's really up to you depending on how many, you know, what's your, you know, your assets and other businesses. And I've completely shifted to say, you know, if you're going to treat this like a business and treat it like a business, set up your LLC and do it from the beginning. It's better to do that from the beginning, to have that protection from the beginning, to understand the process. And it's, it's much easier to just do it from the beginning and have that protection versus going back in time and, and trying to, to unwind it or try to set up a different stru a structure. So just treat it like a business and do it immediately. I do see a lot of people that set up their LLC first. Like you can do that. That's fine. But Again, to Adam's point, most people are buying with a conventional loan, a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac product, which require you to close in your own name, and then they transfer to an LLC. So you can set up the LLC first. That's absolutely completely fine. You, you probably won't use it uh, unless you're using non-conventional financing and using that LLC for financing. You probably won't use it until, um, you know, until you own the property and, and then you transfer it over. And you can transfer properties in and out of the LLC. You can you know, do it there. That's nothing set in stone. The important thing is that you have something set up um, because I do think that sets the stage for you to show that this is a business just mentally, financially, and also for future funding and financing scenarios that, Hey, you're running a legitimate business. There will be a point in time where someone's going to look back at your portfolio and they will question if all your homes are in your own name. Um, so that's just something to think about. I think the LLC is, is absolutely important. You can set it up on your own. Uh, personally, I would say use a service to yeah. set it up in a, uh, yeah, again, you're not an attorney, you're not an accountant. I would say use a service to assist you to set it up. That doesn't mean you need a huge blown out program, but setting it up and actually, you know, the other aspect of using a service to set it up and there's plenty of them out there is to get some guidance on, you know, structuring and, you know, business aspects. But I will also say this. If you talk to 10 different attorneys and 10 different uh, companies, you're going to get 10 different opinions on exactly how you structure things. Um, so that is one of those things we constantly get asked about. Again, we have recommendations uh, for a couple different companies that will set up the LLC structure for you based on what we feel is a good fit. It's up to you to decide, but it is also up for, to you to take the action to educate yourself on that. Um, what about the CPA? You think first year as well, Adam, or? I, I think so. I mean, I think as soon as you get a, a real job and de deposit anything into a retirement account or have a kid or anything like that, I think you need to be, I mean, maybe, maybe immediately in that case, you're not focusing on a, a real estate specific CPA, but I think as soon as you get a property, you need to switch to one. And I know we had an episode that we'll link in the show notes about finding a real estate savvy CPA 
that went a lot more in depth than, than we can go into today. Um, we'll, we can link to that in the show notes. Um, but yeah, I think I think you need one from from day one because I mean, even if let's pretend you don't that you want to do your own taxes, let's pretend that's the case. For one year, pay somebody to do it, and then see how they did it. You know, see what forms they had to file, see how it was filed, and then from there, if you want to piecemeal your own taxes together the next year, okay, I I wouldn't do it, but okay, if you want to, go for it. But at least you have a groundwork of all right, these things were filed, so I should do that myself next year. Yeah, I mean, what's, let's call it what it is. When people file their own taxes, not because they like it, nobody likes it. It's just <laughs> to save a few hundred bucks, right? At the end of the day, that's what it is. Is You are so much better off just paying someone to do that and finding the right person because the reality is, is that they are going to make sure things are done appropriately um, because everyone filing your own taxes, like if you really were to have someone audit you, like, everyone filing your own taxes is doing something wrong to some degree. I mean, taxes, it's not simple people. So I mean, don't do it, but the, I mean, having a good CPA is going to save you the money in the long run and a good CPA. That's also an investor. They probably have a few recommendations for you on, on what to prepare for. We've, we've also done different episodes about the difference between a CPA and a tax strategist. Um, I think that's someone that a tax strategist is important. A good CPA is necessary immediately. A tax strategist is someone who helps you plan for the future specifically and implement plans um, is a different profession. And that's probably someone you need down the road um, or if you're you know, currently investing quite a bit. But um, definitely a CPA is good too. I mean, you do not, we want to make sure you file things like depreciation. Like it gets more complicated when you have a rental property, um, whether it's in your first name or LLC, is it going to the Schedule C? I mean, or, or Schedule E? And how is that actually... Um, you know, are you doing depreciation is because depreciation is complicated, actually. And if you don't do depreciation appropriately, you want to make sure you're getting those tax benefits. But if you don't do it appropriately, the IRS is going to penalize you or tax you as if you took it, even if you don't take it. So, I mean, certain things like that, just just have the right CPA. So as far as finding the right CPA, I would say make sure they're an investor themselves, just like all these other people we've recommended. Make sure that they are familiar with investing um, in multiple states in diversification and they're comfortable filing in other states it's not that complicated but if someone says oh i've never done that maybe they're not the right person um, i also like people that are actively investing in real estate that have many other clients that are actively investing in real estate um, and doing the kind of strategies that i'm doing like cost segregation and things like this so those are important things to bring up to them um, you know have they done short-term rentals have they done long-term rentals what kind of real estate do their clients have what kind of real estate do they invest in What's the tax benefits? They should be there to educate you. What are the tax benefits to invest in real estate so they can give you a little bit of guidance um, and some, some feedback. As far as uh, how to find one, I mean, we have recommendations, of course, but also, I mean, you know, you got you to check around, get on networks and ask around, start interviewing multiple people, interview a few different CPAs. Uh, and I would say the same thing for, for attorneys or, or companies that help you do the LLC structuring. What do you think? Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And just to sum everything up. And this was one of the main reasons that I um, kind of scheduled this time with you is in the biggest thing is just taking that first step, like we've talked about and getting in the investor mindset. Um, back in 2008, 2009, when the world was collapsing around us, the great recession, who were the people who were actually buying and continuing their business and doing all the things that needed to be done to be successful 10 years from now? It wasn't the new investors. 
New investors were scared and not doing anything. It was the investors who were already in the game, the people who already had the investor mindset. They are the ones who, when the opportunity arose, they struck. And so if you think you're going to be the person who, if you saw what happened in 2008, 2009, and you did nothing, and you think, oh, if there's a downturn this time, I'm going to do something, let me just be the first to tell you, you're probably not going to do it unless you're already started. Yeah. The, the perfect time to invest in real estate is now, right? And, and that could be applied to any time frame because the reality is this is a lifelong journey um, and it, it takes learning, right? Like we just covered a lot of stuff and went through it actually kind of in depth and, and rather quickly in the amount of time that we, we spent on it. But, um, and you could, you know, someone could say, well, holy shit, that's a lot, you know, to, to deal with. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's you, you take this step by step. That's what we are here for is to help guide you through this and make sure you have the right steps in place. But the thing is, is to just, you know, just get started and learn it throughout the process. This is a learning process. Um, it's okay for real estate to st- start out as a side hustle and it's okay for it to st- start out as, you know, just a hobby, but you approach it from the beginning, like a business and just go into it with a mindset to learn. Um, you know, and, and the more that you learn, the more that you apply these things, the more successful you'll be over time and the sooner you will accomplish your financial goals. So Adam, this was a great topic. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to covering more of this stuff with you. So if people have questions, I mean, let's send them to Adam and I, we'll do it. We'll do a yep. debrief on them. Yep. Send over any questions you have to podcast at renttoretirement.com. That's podcast at renttoretirement.com. We will address it on the show, email you back, whichever way. Um, is best maybe both probably both on to be honest that's podcast at rentretirement.com don't forget to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you're using we'd really appreciate it again check us out at rentretirement.com you can schedule a call with us to talk about your goals how we can help you get there you can see what inventory we have there on the website that's at rentretirement.com and we'll talk to you on the next episode all right i have